In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Amen. Please sit. So good morning and welcome on this day when we celebrate the Feast of St. Matthew. It's become our custom to do this every year as we begin our new program year. So as we sort of come back to church from different patterns of life and from the summer, some of us begin settling back into school or settling into school for the first time as is happening in my house, which is an adventure. It has become our custom to hear this same story of Matthew on this day each year and to reflect on the legacy of our patron saint, the disciple for whom this community, this building is named. Now, I talked a little bit last week about traitorous tax collectors, and I may have enjoyed that phrase a little bit too much. So I'm not gonna dwell on that too much today, but I do just wanna remind you a little bit of who Matthew was. There are two schools of thought here, one much more popular than the other. The easy answer is that he was a tax collector for Rome, which means that he would have paid a fee, a cut, a pretty large percentage of what he collected from people back to the empire. And it would have been understood that he was filling his own pockets too, and the Roman officials, of course, were just fine with that. That was not a problem. His people, though, his Jewish siblings, all of them oppressed under Roman rule, many of them poor and struggling, would certainly have had a problem with the fact that he was taking more from them than he had to, and the fact that he was taking from them at all to give to the empire, to build up his own house, to put food on his own table. He would have been seen by his own people and by his kin as a traitor, the lowest of the low, a tool of the empire, a willing conspirator. Now, the other suggestion is that he was a toll collector because tax booth, the way that it appears in the text, it could be tax booth as in Rome or it could be toll booth as in Herod. So he could be sitting somewhere in the city at this point at a toll booth, which literally is what it sounds like. It sounds like when we're on the highway and we're going somewhere and we have to pay a toll, except that there was no easy pass, so you had to actually stop at the booth and talk to the guy and pay a toll, which I had to do this summer. It takes a really long time. So you can imagine a little bit of the scene, right? There are people coming to see Matthew, and here he is sitting in this, this thing. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but we can imagine there was some sort of structure there around him. He's sitting at the tax booth or the toll booth, however, however you like. I'm not sure it makes much of a difference, truthfully, whether you're the corrupt tax collector for Rome or the corrupt toll collector for Herod. I think kind of the optics are bad both ways. But in either case, he's sitting there collecting people's money, wrapped in something that gives him some kind of structure, some kind of authority, probably some kind of security. He's privileged and comfortable and sitting while other people are coming to him and he's taking their things. Now in a lot of portrayals of Matthew, either in film or on television, He's often portrayed as this like little anxious guy. In fact, Lynn and I just started watching because Jean told us to, The Chosen. And in that series, Matthew is this like little anxious guy who's running around looking over his shoulder because he knows he's, you know, he's stolen from everybody, right? So they, he thinks they're all coming to get him. And often that's how he's portrayed, like a, like a bully, but who actually is kind of broken and afraid inside and doesn't really have any oomph to him. He's kind of just whiny and wimpy and scared. But for some reason, 
I have never been able to picture him that way. I, I sort of see him sitting at the tax booth as, as someone who has a sense of the power that he has, someone who is strong and who is willing to use that power. For some reason, I just have never been able to see him as someone who's afraid, and maybe that's my own bias. But I see him instead as someone who made a series of choices, who probably was okay with most, if not all, of those choices until he ended up here. And I'm still not sure that I think he's sorry on this day. You know, the hymn that we just sang suggests that there's already grace in his heart. I don't know that I believe that. I feel like, for me, Matthew is someone who made a series of choices who ended him up in this place where he has some power and privilege, and he's probably not all that sorry about it. So, whichever guy he is in your vision of this story, you can pick wimpy Matthew or you can pick powerful Matthew. It's up to you. What we can't debate is that what happens when he sees Jesus is that he literally gives up everything and gets up from the tax booth and goes. Jesus sees him at the tax booth and he says to Matthew very simply, follow me, and he does. Matthew just gets up and follows him which means he leaves behind you know, the structure, the, the security, the authority, the privilege. I would imagine he's also leaving some money on the table, both his and Rome's or Herod's, whichever corrupt person he's answering to. And he leaves all of that behind to follow Jesus instead. And then there's a dinner. This story about Matthew appears in all three of the synoptic gospels. So it's in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And synoptic here comes from the Greek for seen together, meaning that those three gospels tell a lot of the same stories. They have a lot of the same content. We can see them together. John's gospel, on the other hand, is written much later and has a lot of its own content. So it doesn't really sort of jive with the other three. But in each one of these versions, there is a dinner after this scene where Jesus calls Matthew. Mark 2 tells us that the dinner is at Matthew's house. Luke 5 goes further and tells us that Matthew is throwing a great banquet for Jesus and that there's a large crowd of tax collectors at the dinner. All three versions agree on that. They're all sitting at the table with Jesus. And in all three Gospels, it's the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elites, who are very quick to point out that Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says the same thing in all three versions, very similar words. I came not for the righteous, but for the sinner. I hope you're all very complimented by that this morning. I came not for the righteous, but for the sinner. Not for the healthy, but for the sick. And then he goes on to say that what he wants to see is mercy. And sometimes that word is translated differently across the, the ages. Sometimes it's translated more like compassion. Sometimes it's translated more like steadfast love, meaning what Jesus wants is for us to love God, to love him steadfastly, rather than sacrifice. That's the next part of that sentence. And sacrifice here probably looks like burnt offerings in the context. Mercy, love, compassion, not burnt offerings. One of the things that's hard to wrap our heads around, but perhaps is the most obvious thing, is the way that Matthew just gets up and follows Jesus. And we have talked about that other years, about what must have been happening for Matthew, what he must have heard in Jesus' voice, what 
what, it, what must have been different about him that when he heard that voice, he was willing to get up and go. And it's a miraculous thing, but it's not what I want to talk about today. When I went to the text this week, the thing that I thought more about was what Matthew was trading away, what he's giving away, what he leaves behind when he gets up from the tax booth and gives it away for a seat at the table. When Matthew trades away his tax booth, he takes on literally a different posture, so physically with his body, but also in terms of the community around him. He gives up his protection, his security, his authority, his access to other people's money, (laughs) to other people's wealth. And he gets out of it something very different, a seat at the table, and not just any seat at any table, a seat at Jesus' table. And we know from scripture that there are some really unique things about Jesus' table. It is a table that miraculously always seems to have room for everyone. No matter how many people come, there's always enough room and always enough food. It's a table that, unlike any other table at the time, didn't honor rank or status or cultural understandings of position. In the ancient world, everything was sort of aligned by cultural status and position. And so even at the table, you would sit with the highest rank here and the lowest rank here. And what we hear from this moment on and through the early church, though they don't get it right all the time, is that everyone is, in, is encouraged to eat at the same table, on the same level, and to eat the same things. That this meal that they were sharing at Jesus' table was profoundly different. And we know that Jesus always seems to be including the tax collector, the sinner, the sick, and the outcast. Matthew, sitting at this table, even in his own home, even as he's throwing this banquet for Jesus, would not have had any more privilege. In fact, he probably would have felt a little guilty. I almost hope he did, looking around at other people, wondering if he had taken anything from them. He would have had to sit on the ground in other places with everyone else. Matthew wouldn't have any power anymore, any ability to control other people or tell them what to do. Instead, he would have to learn to love, to share, to be fair. He would have started on this day a completely different life. But it was worth it because that seat at the table is the kind of seat that you trade everything away for. It's the kind of seat that puts everything else in perspective, the one that gives life, the one that changes everything. It's the kind of seat that you, that we, have here at this table, where we each come forward from our own lives and our own experiences and we receive the same thing. Yes, literally the same food, but also grace in equal measure. We come forward out of our own individual lives and our own individual stories, but when we come forward, we come forward as a community, as a body, as a collection of people who have been bound up, who are equal, each one beloved, each one wanted, each one belonging. So what does Matthew have to teach us today? Well, three important things. First, what is your tax booth? What is the thing in your life, the place of security, the place of privilege, the angle, the access, 
that allows you to sort of stay separate and to be a little bit in control, to stay removed, to stay distant from community and from God. Today, to each of us, Jesus is calling us to get up and to trade those things away, to leave it behind, to make ourselves vulnerable, to come out of our hiding places and to claim for the first or 30th or 200th or 500th time our seat at the table. That's the second thing is that you have a seat at this table always, at Jesus' table, at our table. Grace to receive and love to give. God is not asking us to be perfect. That's the burnt offering part. This is not about checking boxes or making sure that we've done all the things the right way. Because you could do that in the ancient world. You could offer the perfect sacrifice, spend the most money, do the best thing, and you know what God is saying? That's really not what I wanted. I really just wanted you to love me and each other. A seat at the table. A sense that God's promises are real and that that is where we find our real security. A sense that we belong in community and that we need to share this journey together. A sense that we belong at the table with God's people. And then lastly, this is an invitation for all of us for the whole year ahead. Like Matthew, after we leave behind our individual places and stories, we're invited to throw a feast for Jesus, to fill our tables with people, to make sure that everyone has a spot and a place, that everyone feels welcome and that there is enough to share. So this year, I hope that we will build our table longer and fill it with more love and more food and more fun. Let's make sure that this place, this table, has a seat for everyone. And that we have invited everyone to the party. Let's make sure that everyone has a seat at the table. Amen. <laughs>